0: Hi, this is Hillary Burns. My show, The Getting Real with Hillary Show, is dedicated to you. This show is meant to inspire you and to have other guests on who have a story, who might have been stuck, to inspire you that you can also get unstuck and create a life you love. That we can all be free, we don't have to feel alone, and we don't have to feel that there's something wrong with us. That's my message and I hope you'll join and tune in for some exciting adventures and interviews. Hi, this is Hillary Burns and this is the Getting Real with Hillary's show where we talk about what can't be said and the AAA formula for freedom, which is awareness, acceptance and action. And today, I am here with Jeff Johnston, the founder of the Living Undeterred Project, which is a nonprofit organization, and Living Undeterred, which is his for-profit company. Um, Jeff is changing, the well, Living Undeterred is changing the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. And Jeff he might have more, but what I know is he has a blog, a book, and a podcast, and he just finished a 95-day tour of 40 states, which we're going to let him tell us all about. So welcome, Jeff. It's great to have you today.
1: Yeah, Hillary, I'm super excited. I uh, love these opportunities to be vulnerable and to share stories. Uh, That seems to make people comfortable about telling their own stories when they hear somebody else's first. So hopefully today when we get done, um, that, that somebody listening or watching can uh, walk away from this a better person.
0: Mm. So yes, I'm sure they will based on what little I know about you. Um, it sounds like, you know, you're doing incredible stuff, but can you, before we talk about your 95 day tour, Mm -hmm. can you just tell us, I'm sure you put it in your book and your blog and your Mm -hmm. podcast, but just, you know, where you were, how you got into this. And, you know, maybe that will inspire someone who might be facing those challenges themselves.
1: Yeah. I have a quote that we use uh, at all my presentations and everywhere I speak. It's on the back of all of our shirts. Uh, Purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. So you got to say that a few times. Purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And uh, I will now kind of move into why it's personal for me. Okay. Uh, my previous life, I was a financial advisor, uh, from age 23 to well, Well, still currently I'm, I'm still licensed and so forth, but my focus was building wealth for clients, uh, building wealth for myself. I did that since I was 23, uh, got married, had, you know, three boys, And at age 50, I kind of felt Hillary, I'd made it, you know, I mean, I, I, um, accumulated a a good, a good chunk of money for myself, for my clients, happily married, uh, three boys, um, you know, not a lot of trauma and chaos in my life. And I was an alcoholic since eighth grade, uh, drank probably five, six days a week, uh, for 30 years, but I was functional. I could go Mm -hmm. to work. I could, I, you know, I have, I have attention deficit, which is one of the best things I was ever given. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I try to teach people not to use the word disorder because again, I I have my thoughts on that. So with attention deficit, I always have an active mind and I, and sometimes that got me in trouble. It it certainly didn't help my grades, but, um, at age 50, I was sitting there on top of the mountain, pat myself on the back community thought I was successful. And I was, I mean, by all standards of society, I was successful. Um, and then on October 4th, 2016, everything changed and like it does for every single one of us eventually uh something happens and for me i got that call that every parent dreads i became a member of a club that you don't ask to be and you can never leave but our oldest son seth was found dead in a hotel room needle in his arm heroin laced laced with fentanyl and and um yeah so that that day uh time stood still uh my life changed and um I'll talk about it. So the day Seth died was the end of a six-year journey. He was 23 in his journey of addiction, alcohol use, uh, mental health, came to an end at age 23. But it started at 16 when he was prescribed Adderall. Now, I'm not indicting the medical profession, but I, I, where I fumbled the ball as a parent was I didn't understand what Adderall was. You see, I had attention deficit, still do, and I was never given any drugs or any meds for it. My dad just told me it was a superpower and go outside and chase your brother around the wood, you know, and fight each other and, you know, get that energy all kind of burned off. But today we tell kids that it's a disease or a disorder and we give them a pill because basically we don't want to take the time to, to talk to kids and understand them. So it's easier for us to just diagnose. And so Seth was given Adderall and uh, the journey started and he got into marijuana Alcohol, like a lot of kids, uh, drunk driving, breaking and entering, cocaine, prison, got out of prison, heroin, fentanyl, death from 16 to 23. So that really was a slap in the face for me about humility and about gratitude. And death entered my life as an opportunity to be a better person, not a bitter person, which is a template of the living undeterred mindset, better, not bitter. And so Hillary, you know, boys came home from school that day and I sat them down on the couch. My wife's off to my right. You know, we're obviously very distraught and I figured out I had to say something impactful to the boys. Ian was 15. Roman was 13. And sibling bereavement is the number one cause of depression, anxiety, and stress for, for kids. It isn't losing a parent. It isn't putting their cat down. It's losing a brother or sister. In this case, the older brother, the one they looked up to. And, um, I sat the boys down and I said, boys, uh, and this became a chapter in my book called the two roads. And it really is a metaphor to choices. We make, you know, choices precede consequences. And I said, boys, we have, t- we have one of two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred, and we'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves, or we have a road of inspiration and motivation. And this can be the single greatest moment in our lives. And those around us to make a difference. I'm on the second road. I ask you to join me, and that's exactly how I said it. I didn't rehearse it; it just came off very authentic. And the key part of that whole thing, Hillary, was I—I I was asking them to join me. I wasn't going to tell them how to grieve. And um, for the next 14 months after my big motivational speech, uh, my wife and I drank every single day. Um, I didn't go to work. I told my my, 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 uh, my staff and my employees that I needed a year off, you know, to catch, to, to get my life together. I knew my wife at that time was really struggling. Um, and for 14 months, her and I just drank and drank and drank. And then on December 24th, 2017, I had that epiphany moment that a lot of people do Hillary. I just looked in the mirror and realized it's time. It's time to grow up. It's time to be a man. It's time to stop. I quit drinking that day and I've never looked back. I've never thought about it. I don't call, I don't call myself sober because that implies I'm in a fight. Uh, I just don't drink. It's to me, it's just that simple. Uh, But it wasn't that simple for my wife. And on June 29th of 2021, I buried my wife for alcohol abuse. Uh, We were married 21 years. And again, death entered my life as an opportunity to be a better human, not a bitter one. And so I stand today and I, I, Am as authentic as I can be, but I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life right now, um, emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, uh, financially. Um, I really at a at a point. I work really freaking hard every single day, and I can share some of the tools I've used, some of the philosophy I live by. But and and that's my story. There's more to it. Obviously, in between all this, I wrote a book. Uh, I do a podcast called Living Undeterred, and. And then recently, we just wrapped up our tour. But I want to change lives. I'm only 56. Uh, I got a lot of I got a lot of years ahead of me, um, and I want to do this till my last breath. And um, it took me a long time to find my meaning and purpose in my life, but, but death, death prevent, presented it to me as an opportunity, and that's um that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for sharing, and I'm sorry for. Mm-hmm. Or your losses.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of us out there in pain, a lot of us that have lost people. And I know you have. And if you haven't yet, you will. I mean, we all do. We all have a story. And That's what I've learned about this journey is this isn't a me narrative. This is a we narrative. This is all mm-hmm. about us. And so my podcast, my conversations, yes. uh, I was at a suicide walk today. You know, I'm supporting the community on suicide. Well, my two deaths in my family were alcohol and drugs. But the overhanging concern is mental health,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, they're all related. So as advocates, we need to support each other, whether your son or daughter or parents died from one thing, pain is still pain. Loss is still loss. You know, we need to be there for each other as humans.
0: Well, as my triple A formula, obviously awareness, acceptance mm-hmm. and action sounds exactly what you're doing. Um, I believe that when we start talking about things, we can get free because it gets us aware. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: wow, I'm sure you've done a lot. I would love to hear about your 95 day tour. If that's something you want to talk about. I know you just finished it. Yeah. 40 states um, in 95 days. And you know what Mm -hmm. were you doing? And how do you think you helped people?
1: great question I, I i look back at hindsight now and think how wild that ride was i was on my elliptical about 10 months ago working out i jumped off i jumped on twitter and i saw this story of this dad who was riding his bike across the state of iowa to raise money for breast cancer obviously this guy probably didn't care about breast cancer until his wife got it right. so that that's that purpose becomes passion when it gets personal saying that that we use on all of our materials and so I thought, well, I can do that. I have I have imposter syndrome. I'm a competitor. I don't like when someone does something better than me. <laughs> so instead of me complaining about that person, I just make myself better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, It doesn't do any good for me to even focus at all what they're doing. It's just how can I improve my game? So I already had my book. I had my podcast. Um, I was on podcast. I was active on social media. I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. And again, as someone with attention deficit, I'll I'll never feel like I'm ever doing enough. And so I saw this dad and I thought, well, I can do that, but I was too small and I don't want to ride a bike. So I stayed up till three in the morning and I came up with this wild idea that I would go buy an RV. Now I've never been in an RV in my entire lifetime, but I didn't want to, how else am I going to get around the United States? You know, I don't want to go in a car. And plus my two boys, I thought, you know, their mom died. And I thought, what a great chance for us to be bonding as a family. And how many people always say, well, I want to get an RV and drive around the country. I mean, no, no one ever does it. Well, now I could do that actually, but actually help people too. Mm-hmm. And so I um, stayed up to three in the morning, came up with this business plan called the living undeterred us tour. Um, took about 10 books with me, drove up to camping world about an hour away, walked in, asked for the sales manager and, um, left with a 34 foot, uh, brand new 2022 hurricane mm-hmm. Thor RV. And went on social media that night and started telling everybody what I was going to do. And there's a reason why I did it that way. Because if I wouldn't have bought the RV, I may have talked myself out of it.
0: Right. And, and then where did you, like, how did you know where to stop? I mean, how I did didn't. You get- I just
1: thought I'd have to start reaching out to my LinkedIn friends and start asking and start cold calling and start working hard. Like I built my investment company up. Um, that's how I started doing my investment career back when I was 23. We didn't have computers and there wasn't the internet. You know, We had computers, but it was very archaic and- I had a typewriter from college of whiteout. I mean, kids today haven't made, you know. And right. and I knocked on doors to sell life insurance for five years, you know. And that's so I built a lot of resiliency up like that. And so I figured, well, I'm going to go on this tour. I'm going to change lives. Uh, it wasn't glorified. I mean, we had lots of issues. Uh, I drove twelve hours to one place, and we had six people show up. You know, and then the next the next event had a hundred. So mm-hmm. what I tried to find Hillary are, are were nonprofits that I could partner with. And the ultimate goal was that I would raise money. And then after expenses, I would split the profits. Well, the problem was I lost my butt. I mean, I, I I wanted to raise a million dollars. I raised like 30,000. I had no corporate sponsorships, um, very little donations, but I kept going undeterred. I mean, there was nights I sat in the RV at a KOA in, in, uh, you know, uh, South Dakota in tears because I'm just throwing in more money. No one, no money's coming in. But I thought, you know, this is a real test of undeterred. This is what living undeterred is all about. You know, I can't quit. Um, I've committed to this project. And then so we did it. We just, um, we did it. It was hard. Uh, I had a lot of people. My cousin drove the RV for most of the trip. Um, he's, re- he's in recovery. So his story is heroic. But what I found out, Hillary, is everybody out there has a story. And some of my most impactful moments were strangers I met walking their dog or people at gas stations. And then I I would talk to them and found out that they were in the army and their dad committed suicide or, and I just realized that having human, having intimate human conversations is really one way we're going to get out of this absolute disaster we've created as humans. Hmm. Um, You know, we created this mess with mental health and we certainly have to fix it ourselves. Um, but it was the most humbling thing I've ever encountered. And every single presentation in every state felt like I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Mm. The same the same sorrow, the same pain, the same hurt, the same hopelessness is everywhere. It permeates all elements of society. There's no discrimination when it comes to addiction, substance use disorders, and mental health. And so I came back, another, again, a better person, uh, you know, a little less money in my wallet, but um, a better person and I will raise the million. Uh, it just wasn't going to be the 95 days. I thought it was going to be, uh, it'll take me more time, but I'm, I'm going to do that and more. And, um, I've got more projects in line. Uh, I've got quite a few pretty big projects that I'm working on right now that, that just, again, with the tension deficit, I, I really can't stop. I'm addicted to, uh, my, my story right now, I'm addicted to helping people.
0: Hmm. So who would you say was your most, I mean, just tell us like one story about how you impacted someone on that tour. Who can you think of someone?
1: Well, I'll tell you a story how someone impacted me. Okay. Um, I was in, uh, Salt Lake city, Utah at a presentation. Uh, uh, boy, what was the name of the group? I had so many groups I worked with. Um, it was a, it was a, um, uh, a guy that was in the service in Iraq and stuff. Um, and he formed this nonprofit. And so I was asked to come in with, I don't know, it was 50, 60 people that really good presentation. And then we were done. I I met this gentleman afterwards and he told me, he said, you know, Jeff, um, and hopefully this doesn't trigger anybody. So I'll have a trigger warning or actually this is your show. So I'll make sure that I don't, I don't uh, say something that hurts people. Okay. But this gentleman said, um, you know, I, I uh, five years ago, I, I was going to get, you know, divorced. And uh, my wife was, you know, she had a lot of mental health issues. She was a substance abuser. Um, and I couldn't be in the marriage anymore. So I told her we were gonna get separated. That's that was the advice that everyone told me to do, you know. And um, when marriages don't work, you get divorced, right? That's what you're supposed yeah. to do. And he said, So I I filed separation, got an apartment and everything. And I I came back um a little while later to pick up my two daughters, you know, because my turn to see them. And my wife had shot them both and shot herself. Right, exactly. And I just stood there. And I gave, I gave Michael a hug and we started crying together. And I said, you know, these are the moments that I know I'm going to run into when I'm telling this story. Cause if I don't tell my story publicly, he probably doesn't tell me his story. He's remarried, uh, fights everything every day, but he's remarried. Um, he's moved on. He became the best that he can based on the cards he was dealt. Um, but I can't even fathom that. I mean, even, even what I've went through, I meet people that have been through, I know it's easy to compare grief then that's a, it's not something we need to do in this, in this mental health world we live in is compare grief, but man, that was just something that hit me hard. That was one story. And I'd say I had hundreds of stories uh, that that was the most impactful one um, that I ran into. Yeah. It's just um, again, it's a mental health issue. uh, And um, what he learned, what he told me was that I can't play the what if game you know, based on the knowledge right. I have now, obviously I would have stayed in the marriage, but or I would have done something different. But I think one thing I try to teach people that follow us is we can't really identify too much with the past. Uh, and I learned this through meditation: is not to identify with my thoughts, mm-hmm. be aware of them, respect them, but don't identify with them. So when the when the feeling of grief and pain and sorrow comes into my life, I don't fight it. I just, it's like a mental health workout for me. I I know it's coming and uh, I lean into it and um, I've never felt worse ever after a good cry. I always feel better. I know that in advance. So when I start to cry, I just let it go.
0: I wrote one of my uh, blogs on crying is the new orgasm. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I I I wouldn't say it that way, but it makes sense because (laughs) it is, it was so just, I mean, I felt when I was done, it was like literally working out. I felt really good. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know. And I, um, I mean, I agree. I've resisted my emotions. That's what my second book's about how I resisted my emotions. I thought they were wrong, but when you, it's hard when you've resisted them for so many years, but when you can, as you say, lean into it, it Mm -hmm. really is freeing.
1: Yeah. And really, you know, it's liberating. Um, yeah. And I didn't meditate until Seth died. And then I, you know, after I quit drinking, so I started meditating about five years ago and I do like 10 minutes a day and it's uh mindfulness meditation, it's simple, uh, it's guided. So mm-hmm. I have a voice talk me through it. Um, And there's times that I meditated and, you know, nothing happened. There's times I I'm captured in thought and I can't, I can't, be aware of them because I'm thinking Mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. I don't fight it. Um, and then there's times I have experiences that are psychedelic, you know, they just are amazing. Uh, one time I was meditating outside on a, on a rock and we were scuba diving my son and I down in, um, grand Turk and a storm came in and there were people watching me meditate. It wasn't a big storm. It was just a rain, And apparently I was so into my 20 minute meditation that it rained and the temperature dropped like 15 degrees and I never came out of my, my trance. And it's only happened like few times, but when that does happen, it's such a spiritual thing Hmm. that, you know, it gives me hope that there's something bigger out there that, that is, you know, that, um, I don't know. It just gave me a really good feeling, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so what is it? I mean, I know you're doing great stuff. What is it that you hope to do? Like, what would be, you know, in five years, if you had accomplished what would you?
1: I don't know that. you'll never
0: be done, but like, no, no, that's a great question, Hillary. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, and I get this all the time from the media and from people who interview me, and you know, I, I appreciate the question. Uh, in my mind, in a way, I almost kind of look at it as like, for some people, it's I call it a trap question. Um, especially people that have an agenda and, and you don't, but, but a lot of people ask me that to kind of argue with me. Um, and so no, here's I'm my, looking
0: at like, what's in your, you right. Know, when you are connected to the spiritual, what is it? That well, here's my answer. You're bringing and, and, I,
1: your... and again, this, this is how I got to thinking about that because really, obviously my goal, Hillary would be to save every human from misery and addiction, right. but see that that's, that's not going to happen. Um, it's very unlikely that, that would ever happen. So here's my answer. If what we were doing was working, I wouldn't be doing this. Hmm. That's my answer to the question. What's the end game? What question are you trying to answer, Jeff? I go back to basically a statement instead of answering the question directly. And now I make a statement. If what we were doing was working, I wouldn't be doing this. And that's the bottom line. 800 Americans a day, 800 Americans a day die from overdose, suicide, and alcohol. 800 a day. Wow. Think about that. Now, when my son died of fentanyl, which I had never even heard of fentanyl, uh, I heard of heroin, obviously, and, and I've never done drugs. So I, I didn't know what fentanyl was. Um, 46,000 Americans died in 2016. Do you know how many died last year from fentanyl? And by the way, fentanyl is the number one killer of Americans between 18 and 44 today or overdoses, but specifically it's fentanyl. Do you know how many died last year nationwide? No, 110,000.
0: Wow. No, so this is why. Yeah. Yeah. I, so it
1: went, it went from 46,000 to 110,000. Wow. And, and, and I will tell you prescription opioids have been cut in half. Right. Exactly. And what that's do you the mean? prescription opioids that doctors were prescribing yeah. through pharma and all that they've been cut in over 50% have been taken off the streets. So you're asking, well, how the, how the deaths go up hundred percent. Right. And this is one of the reasons why cause and effect don't always happen. Many times there's an inverse relationship between what happens and what really happens. And this is why the, a lot of people are very naive on the drug war. So shut the borders down or arrest the criminals. It's like, if I'm an addict and I'm taking Oxycontin because I'm in pain and I fear withdrawals because now I'm addicted to it. Now my body, not, not only do I need to, the pill You're gonna to help get it my off pain. the street. There you go. And I'm getting it at illicit fentanyl on the street is what's killing. It's not legitimate fentanyl killing people. It's synthetically made by drug cartels and put into drugs. So, you know, and this is well, where what? I talk to people. Sometimes they'll say, well, we just got to arrest the drug lords. We just got to put borders no. up. It's like, you know what? You live in a cave. You don't understand well, addiction.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I've talked to, I, you know, unfortunately I know other people who've lost children and I've interviewed a couple mm-hmm. I know, And this is, you know, why are they, I mean, if they're in business, why are they killing their customers? I guess it's because they don't know how to use fentanyl and they're. No,
1: that's not, I appreciate okay. the observation, but let me educate yeah, so, you on this. There's two reasons. One, there will always be customers. And so I that's why Walt Disney will never run out of babies and kids. Disney world will always have kids. There'll always be addiction. There'll always be substance use. There'll always be pain and suffering. Always. They know that. They don't care. And they actually are putting it in because fentanyl is 100 times more addictive than heroin. So they're doing it to addict kids. They're, kids die. They don't care. They simply don't care. Uh, adults die. They don't care. There's always going to be people behind them buying drugs. And that's why, as a society, we can focus on the supply side but we could focus on the demand side. And I am a demand side advocate. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think we need supply side. We need better. We need everything. We, we need to, in a perfect world, it would be great to take every drug off the market, but everybody out there that's addicted right now, they're going to go do something else. They're going to find something else. Okay. Right. So if we can understand why people make the decisions they do in the first place, and we starting with what's called prehab versus rehab. So we're going to the kids prehabituation do you know what we need to intervene before the intervention and so my life's mission is to develop programs to help adolescents make better choices under difficult situations and to empower them so they know the difference between an autonomous behavior and a dependent behavior there's a huge there's an illusion of autonomy most people what do most alcoholics say i got it under control I I, I'm okay. I got it under control. I I don't drive drunk when I drink. I just do it at home. And these are things that we say to each other, uh, that that that's the illusion of an autonomous uh, behavior, which is really a dependent behavior. And as a society, we need to spend a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of patience with kids today. We want to change the narrative. It ain't going to come by getting a 40 year old housewife to quit drinking two bottles of Pinot Grigio. That's not changing the narrative that may save her life. Changing the narrative is getting a next generation of kids coming up to not go down these roads in the first place. And I don't give a crap what drugs are on the market. You know, fentanyl Mm -hmm. could be free and heroin could be free. I would never do it. So the supplies are relevant for me and my two boys. Um,
0: So thank you, Jeff, for being here today. I look forward to our second episode. If you want to find Jeff, um, he's at livingundeterred.com. You can buy his book hear more about his story, go to his podcast. And um, thank you, Jeff, for being here today. And I'll look forward to talking more very soon.
1: Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.